Interesting to me that most of us who call ourselves believers know the secular New Year better than we know our own Bible New Year. <laughs> so, including me, because I've forgotten that it popped up on my calendar as a reminder this week of like, hey, it's Rosh Hashanah, what God's people have been celebrating for thousands of years and blowing of the trumpets and the renewal. And this morning, it actually fits well with where we're at in our series in Romans um, because it's this idea of new. And Paul is writing this book to these people in Rome. They're in an empire that doesn't believe in God. It's secular. Um, they tolerate religion for the most part at this point. Christians are starting to be persecuted more and more at this point. But it's hard sometimes to find joy and believe in a new year and new things are coming and have hope when you look around at the world around you, the circumstances of your own heart, the circumstances of your own life, relationships, just the, what's around us, sometimes it's very difficult to believe that there's anything to give praise or glory or honor or to delight in, in the middle of what we call right now a pandemic. And so really, this is a great time to remember that not only is this Rosh Hashanah and the Feast of the Trumpets Blow and it's the announcing of the New Year's, but that was to announce the days of awe, the days of repentance, to get your heart ready for Yom Kippur, which was the day of atonement, where, where the priests would make themselves holy, they would cleanse, God had a process for doing that, and they would go into the Holy of Holies and declare to God, based on everything we've gotten ready for, we want to declare ourselves holy, not because of what we've done, but because you're holy and we're just asking that you don't annihilate us. <laughs> We're asking that you might forgive us, and we're asking that you might meet with us, that you might come from the cloud and the pillar of the smoke and the fire, and you might come down and actually meet with us. And the atonement provided that kind of idea of a relationship, that, that this blood of this bull or these sheep were just symbols of the fact that something needs to die for us to be in right relationship because something has to be judged because I'm not holy, because I don't measure up. And so the new year was to announce, not a big party, it was to announce you better get your heart ready because the day of atonement, Yom Kippur is coming and you need to start getting your heart ready. And then once Yom Kippur happened, you would have the Feast of Tabernacles. And that would be the time when they would build these booths, these temporary places, and they'd cut a hole in the roof and it was the symbol of they would go out and eat their meals as, as families, Families being extended families, because remember, they all lived together. They didn't, like, go move to New York and London. You know, that's not how it worked back then. And so these families would come under these booths, and they would be temporary. They wouldn't be fancy. They'd be, you know, sticks and thatch. And they would eat their meals outside with a hole cut in the top with the idea of God now, because of the newness he brings and the atonement he brings, he is coming now to eat with us, to sup with us, to, to enjoy fellowship with us. That's exactly the picture that Paul's trying to lay out in Romans. He's trying to lay out in Romans and walk the Romans who aren't Jewish. He's trying to walk them through these hard ideas of the Old Testament that, that are hard for them to wrap their head around because growing up in a secular culture, remember, we talked about this last week, we've talked about it a few weeks, it's all about works. That it's not trusting God to bring atonement. It's not announcing his holiness. I've got to make myself holy. I've got to make myself right. I've got to do it. I've got to justify myself, which we looked at last week. And I don't know about you, but if that's true, then I struggle with the fact that that's good news. Because that's not good news to me. And, and, and the reality is every time I come before God, I know there's shame, there's things I've done, there's things I've said, there's, there's things I didn't even ask him about and just did because I wanted to and expect him to be okay with it. And that brings a sense of shame and guilt and that's why God said, I want you to establish a calendar, a pattern that announces the fact that I want to bring a relationship, but I'm holy, I'm separate, I'm righteous and I have to judge, I can't just let things slide, otherwise... I'm no longer holy, I'm no longer God, I'm no longer who I say I am. And today we need the good news of a newness, of an atonement, of God wanting to meet with us and fellowship with us more than we've ever needed it. And over the last several weeks we've looked at this. Paul starts his book out 
talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah. In other words, this is the atoning one. This is the one that's holy that came from heaven to earth, died in our place. And then we looked at wrath and the fact that God's wrath is on us. It's on the world. And if he doesn't do something, we're in trouble. Then we looked at righteousness. How do we make ourselves right? How do we atone for the fact that we're not right? And Paul says that's what he did. He was our atonement. And then faith. We have to place our faith in that where it's so easy to say, yeah, 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 I believe all that. Now I'm just going to go do the opposite. I'm going to try to work off my salvation and work off and try to get God's blessing, not just by being with him and enduring what he endures, but I want to demand certain things from God by faith. Versus saying, I just know that if I'm near you, I'll have whatever you want me to have. And if that means suffering with you, then I'll suffer with you and I'll love every minute because we're together. And if it means being blessed with you and enjoying just the, the ease of life at this moment, then, then I'm with you and that's great. See, that's what Paul's laying out. And then we look last week at the fact that Paul says, look, it's good news because you've been justified. No longer do you have to try to justify yourself to God or to others because God said, I've brought justice. I want to let you know that that it's not about justifying yourself, it's about telling people who the just judge is. And in this pattern that Paul is walking through, the next thing that we're going to look at, the next thing that we're going to look at exposes the fact that we always want to swing back to works. That once I get to that place where I feel like I'm justified, it's now like, okay, now I'm going to go do stuff because the law's on my side, the justice is on my side, so I'm going to go make justice. And Paul, in this next section, kind of gets right to our heart. He starts to, to dig in, and he brings up another big theological term, and he goes back to remembering, as we looked at last time, Abraham, who was justified by faith. And then what we see in the Old Testament is God doing a process of sanctifying his people, making them more like him, seeing, allowing them to see how holy he is. And it's a process. Here's our theme verse. I read it each week. But it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the good news. That's what it means. The good news of who Jesus is. Because it's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew. Again, it means it came to the Jews first. And they were supposed to tell everybody else. And they didn't. The Jews felt justified. And so instead of telling everyone else. Instead of letting people know. Instead of living their lives righteously. They decided to live selfishly. God had to judge them. And then it says, then to the, to the Greek. So God said, hey, this message is for anybody. My people won't listen, but will anybody else listen? Then he goes on. He says, for in it, God's righteousness, what is right, how to be right, is revealed from faith to faith. That's the whole Bible. Just as it is, it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So this morning, as Paul walks through this process and we get to this point of justification the next thing Paul deals with is the idea of sanctification. Sanctification. And really, sanctification, it truly means to be more like God, to become holy. It means that God is in the process of making you more like himself. It doesn't mean he's going to make you a God. That's what we try to do. We try to say, well, I'm justified. I'm a God now. I can do what I want. No. That's how they got in trouble in the Garden of Eden. Is that Satan said, you don't have to be with God, you don't have to be like God, you can be a God. And they said, that sounds great to me, because then I can be my own boss and I don't have to listen to that guy. And that's exactly what they did. And so it's not that, it's the idea of us in response to all God has done saying, God, I want to be holy. Listen, tune in, here's why. The more holy I am, the closer I can get to you. Let me repeat that. The more holy I am, the closer I am to you. See, that's why the priests would dress in proper garments. They had to wash a certain way, and only one person could go. That guy could get close to the Holy of Holies, go in one time a year. God was showing his people, showing us that I am holy, righteous, wrathful, and just. But I love you. And I've provided a way for you to have atonement have a relationship with me. We know in the New Testament when Jesus died, the curtain of the temple that protected the Holy of Holies was ripped in half 
to symbolize that now you have direct access to God. You no longer need a priest. He is our high priest who will meet with us, tabernacle with us. And so this idea of sanctification, John Piper says it this way, sanctification is the battle to be holy. It's a battle fought at the level, listen, a battle fought at the level of what we love, cherish, treasure, and delight in. Let me repeat that. It's a battle fought at the level of what we love, what we cherish, what we treasure, and what we delight in. See, sanctification really tells us if we're going back to Romans chapter 1. Are we, are we really back at Romans with like the Lord Jesus Christ? Or have we made sanctification something where I'm trying to do something for God, not allowing him to do it through me? And it's this battle in us that we'll look at. In the Bible, the word holy is mentioned over 600 times. It's over and over again in scripture. And this idea of sanctification is the process of becoming more and more set apart from sin and devoted to the service of Christ, becoming more like him. And we will never be fully sanctified on this side of heaven. It's a process moving towards the day of final atonement, the day of final judgment when Christ comes back and he makes his home on earth with us. It's a temporary tabernacle right now, but there's a permanent dwelling coming. That's what sanctification is. It's the idea of I'm going to delight in becoming more like God, doing what he wants, becoming more like him. Can I just tell you? We live in a culture where most Christians are ashamed. They're not not ashamed. They are ashamed of sanctification. You don't think so? Think about your own life for a minute. Think about you being holy and telling people what's right and wrong according to the holiness of God and how oftentimes you don't want to say that to people. You want to hold back. You want to tell them about the love of God, but you don't want to tell them that the love of God flows from the fact that we are in deep trouble. We are not holy. We, we, are, we are going to be judged. And, and I don't want to have that conversation. I'm ashamed of that, so I just tell people how great God is all the time. But I don't tell them about, I don't warn them of the truth of the fact that I'm not ashamed of the fact that I was like you, that I was deserving of wrath, that I... And we stand ashamed of our sin. And so instead of believing that God can sanctify us, he can purify us, he can make us holy, I hide my sin. Because I don't believe he can. Or I don't want, or I'm trying to hide it like, like, well, if he doesn't know about this, he won't find out. He's God. And so again, it's this idea of becoming more like him, of delighting in him. When Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, when I took my biblical preaching course hermeneutics and preaching course, this was the passage that I had to preach through. It was 1 Thessalonians 4. It says this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you must walk and please God just as you are doing, do so even more. Like, look to please God. Listen, if you're in a relationship with someone, your desire is to want to please them. Your desire is to say, they, I, I want them to, to know that they have my pleasure. And when there's a problem, you address it. And he says, for you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification. You ever ask what God's will is for your life? There it is. His will for your life is to make you more like him. It's to sanctify you, to become more holy. And that's something we can't stand to be called in our culture as Christians. We are just holier than thou. You might be. Because see, the issue of holiness is an issue of the heart. Are you holy because you're trying to get everybody to do what you do and you're running around afraid all the time? Or are you holy because you just so delight in God and want to be near him? I just want to be like him. And if I do that, that's not like what he would do. So I'm just not going to do it because I love him. Are you running around in fear all the time of messing up because then God will get me and then I'll get in trouble and I don't want to be in trouble. If that's your heart, that's works. That's not faith. 
It goes on, he says, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's the issue the Thessalonians were dealing with. He said, the, God's will is sanctification. God's will is not that you don't be sexually immoral. Yes, that's his will as in he doesn't want you to do that. But behind sexual immorality is the idea of I desire and need and delight and treasure this moment of sexual union. To believe in sanctification is to say, I don't need that. I need him. And that's enough. That's what Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. And he says, so that each of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification. Like Christ controlled his body when he was on the earth. That's what Christ did. When Jesus walked the earth. He controlled his body. He went where God told him to go. He did what God told him to do. He waited 18 years to start his public ministry. When he knew that he had angels from heaven, he could call down at any moment and annihilate everyone. He's like, I'm just waiting. Like, goes on and it says, in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires, there's that word, desire, delight, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Here's what Isaiah says about the holiness of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That's the Lord of the armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundation of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, you see, Isaiah says this is the picture of God. He is holy. The world trembles. The universe trembles at his greatness. And we should not be ashamed of that picture of our God. And then he says, then I said, not, yo, what's up, dude? Good to see you. Been waiting. To, hey, how you doing? I've been waiting, sitting on my recliner until you come down and meet with me. It's so great. That's not what he says. Look at what he says. Then I said, woe is for me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He's like, I'm toast. Wrath. See, Paul starts out saying, you see the Lord Jesus Christ, there's wrath. And then he walks us through each component, righteousness and justification. Now he's to sanctification, laying this out for us because he says, look, you've got to understand that without him doing this, without him making you holy and your will responding to his will in a relationship, there is no hope for you. You're just going to be a miserable saved person if you're saved. And he doesn't want that. Revelation 4, the end of the book, says it this way. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. I wonder what that's going to be like. Like these descriptions of these animals and stuff, I'm always like, what is that even? Like these guys, Isaiah, give Isaiah and John who wrote Revelation credit. They're trying to describe things they can't understand. It'd be like taking a helicopter and dropping it in like first century you know, South America and asking them to describe what this helicopter is, right? They're going to be like a giant locust that makes loud noises and, and fire shoots out of its mouth and blows things up. Like their, their description of it, we're going to be like, there's giant locusts. Like he's doing the best he can to describe something that's indescribable. And God in his great mercy is like, go ahead, it's fine. Describe it how you can, Right? It's like your son or daughter coming and telling you a story, and they're getting it all wrong. Like, we saw, and it was, you don't sit there and go, no, you didn't. That's all. You don't correct them, because if you do that, then what ends up happening? They're just miserable. Never mind, I'm not telling my story. God gives us the grace to say, go ahead and describe it the best you can. And that's what they're doing. They can't even describe the holiness and the awesomeness and the incredible God they're seeing. They just know they're in trouble. If he doesn't come through, if he doesn't clean them, and then God cleans Isaiah, God tells John, it's okay. As we pick up Romans, Romans 1 says this, based on the fact of who Jesus is, based on the fact of what he's done, how he's made us righteous, our faith in him, based on the fact that we're justified, Paul says, this is the question you're probably asking in your head. What should we say then, Paul says? Should we continue to sin 
that grace may multiply. Remember, grace is the free gift. We don't get into heaven by works. We get into heaven because of God's free gift of salvation, atonement given by his son. We place our faith in that covenant and who he is, not say, well, that's nice you did that for me, but I'm gonna go over here and try to work off all my sins. That's not the way it works. It says, I'm going to believe that you've given me this precious gift of grace, a gift of a relationship with you. I'm going to believe that over my own selfishness, my own desire to work, my own sin, my own guilt, my own shame. I'm going to believe you over all of that. And so Paul knows that when we get to that place, it's easy for us to then say, I'm forgiven. I've got grace. Now I can just go live however I want because I'm a God. (laughs) And God will just forgive me. Paul's like, no, We should not continue to sin so grace may multiply. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? If you say that you want to obey God and you want to be dead to the the evil of your heart and dead to sin, how are you okay with it? That should bug you. It should rip you apart inside. That war should be going on to to become more like God. You'd be like, ah. And he says, or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We looked at this last week. It's the idea of being cleansed by Christ, that we're now buried with his death. We've been baptized into his death, cleansed by his blood. Verse 4, therefore we were buried with him in baptism into death in order, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory, the Holy Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. A new way of doing life. Sanctification. Not the old way of doing things where I'm trying to work and get better on my own, but in a way that says, I'm going to continually put in front of me the reminders of what Christ has done, what God has done, and what my response is. That's the Jewish calendar. It's a constant reminder of our need for him. A constant reminder that he's coming. A constant revelation of a new thing he's doing. A new way of life. And that's why that calendar is yearly and processed. And there's a plan to it. Because once you have the Feast of Tabernacles, you go into the Hanukkah and the Feast of Lights. And then you get to the Passover and the reminder that we need our sins passed over that we've done. Because it's been a long time since the Day of Atonement. Like, oh my goodness, and... And then you get to the other side of that and there's the pouring out of God's spirit to say, I want to empower you. This is the story of the whole book of the Bible. It's not a, it's the way of life God wants us to live and he's made it clear. He goes on to say, for if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, if you really believe that Jesus died for you and paid the penalty for your sin, then why don't you believe that he wants to live in you and through you? Why is that so hard to believe? Why do you keep living in your sin like, oh, he could never use me. Oh, I'm just miserable. I'm just terrible. Or pride. Well, I'm everything, man. God's forgiven me. I'm the most awesome person in the world. Everybody just needs to come to my church and be a part of me, and I will, I will make everything great for everyone. What? No. We live in the power of his resurrection, which means We keep telling people you need to die and you need to let him bring you back to life. And daily, every day, I'm saying this body's moving towards death and I need you to resurrect me again today. He goes on, he says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin's claim. See, when you recognize that Christ died for you and that he took your sin on you, you recognize that the penalty has been paid. But when you walked into the courtroom, the judge sitting on the bench took off his robe and said, he's guilty, but I'll take his place. He put the robe on you, said, take a seat. Someone else is gonna come in someday and you're gonna need to do the same thing. I'm going on to prepare a place for you and that person. I'll be back. That's the picture of our God. And what do I do with the gift I have? Do do I ask the judge? Man, I've never been a judge before. I better learn. (laughs) Better ask him. Better call him. Like, I got a direct line. Hey, judge, I got a decision here to make. What do you think? And like, I'm going to be called. Like, I've got access, but he's not going to do it for me. He's going to work through me. And that's what God's plan has been. He looks and he says, here's the big question, for if we've been joined with him in the likeness of his death. See, that's a big if. 
have you really been joined? Have you really embraced the death of Christ over you? His forgiveness, his grace, his ownership of you now? That he bought you with a price? And it's not like ownership of like, how dare he? See, that's the bad heart of sanctification. This is just so hard to be holy like you. It's so hard to be loved by you. It's so hard to let you take care of me. You're just so terrible. That's most of how sanctification and holiness is taught. And it's evil. Versus saying, I'm just so grateful. And thank you that when I mess up, you still forgive me. Because I don't deserve it. That's exactly what Paul is trying to say. In Romans 6, he goes on, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will, again, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, he's not going to die again. Death no longer rules over Christ. In other words, he's not in a human body that's going to die. For in light of the fact that he died, he died once to sin for all. But in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, this is the image when I was reading and studying this week I got. You guys know what a possum is, I hope? You live in Indiana, right? You've heard the term playing possum, right? And the image I got of this dead to sin was like playing possum. Like sin's coming and you just, I wouldn't lay down. Like you just lay down and play dead. And like sin's all around you, it's everywhere, and you're like, I'm just laying here till God tells me to move. I'm dead to sin. Not sinning. God, I don't know what else to do. Just playing possum. Then the car runs over you and it's all over. And then you get to be in heaven. No, I'm just kidding. Like, like seriously, that, that's the image I got of this, was that we are to, to be like that with sin. Where it's like, I'm not gonna do that. I, I'm gonna just stop. I'm, I would rather be dead and I'm gonna play dead versus sinning. And I'm gonna believe that if I just stop and I trust God and I allow like, I'm dead, He's going to bring life into me and give me something else to do. He's going to give me a way to fight it and give me something else to get away, to escape to, to delight in. But I'm not just always scared to death all the time. That's not delighting in what he's done and that's not cherishing the gift. He goes on and he says, this is what Jesus says in Luke 9. Jesus said it this way, then he said to them all, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose his life because of me will save it. What does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world but yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. That's what we just read about in Isaiah. The holy angels that are declaring holy, holy, holy. That's what they do all day long. That's their job. Just to declare all day long, holy, holy, holy. It's like, going to be on repeat when you get to heaven, so you might want to know it. Like, and the earth trembles every time it's said. There's like trembling in both of the, like, whoa. That's our God, and he says, I love you. And I want you to be a part of that. I want you to experience that. I want to be with you. That's incredible when you think about it. And Jesus says, look, lay down your life. In Romans 12, or 6.12, it says this, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its delights, its pleasures, its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead. Do you believe you're alive from the dead? See, that's the problem. I don't think I'm dead. I wake up every morning and I think I'm alive. I'm alive. It's going to be a good day. But in reality, I'm dying today. I could die today. Clint said something in the car. The other, we were driving yesterday, and Clint's like, yeah, this may be the last time you ever drive with me in the car, you know, because I, you know, and I think he was trying to reference, like, like, he drives now by himself, and so he doesn't need a chauffeur, us driving him around. And so Susan shot back with, no, you'll be, in, or I did, I shot back, said, no, you'll be in the car, you know, with us at another time. He's like, not if I die tonight. Susan's like, don't say that. That's so morbid. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, yeah. And I said, I go, yeah, he might die. And she's like, stop. Like, he knows Jesus. I'm not scared. I'll be mad if he goes before me, quite honestly. I still haven't gotten over the fact that my sister got to go before me. Seriously. Like, she has not, she has had the last 10 years, like, just being with Jesus, and I'm still here. 
Like, that doesn't mean I'm depressed or I'm mad. It's just I recognize that, that we're on a process of dying. And let me tell you, our culture hates this message. More than any other message, our culture can't stand this message. We do everything to keep living. Take your vitamins. Get a facelift. Get other people's body parts put in you and yours wear out. We do everything to stay alive. And God's like, what are you afraid of? If you know me, you know that if you die, there's life and you know that you've already died and I'm giving you life every day by my grace. What are you scared of? He goes on, he says, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. So sin's not going to rule over you like it does everybody else. When you sin, when you struggle, when you see the pains of this world, you understand that there's a God who's offering his delight, his grace, his sanctification. That he wants to accomplish his work through people. This is what 1 Corinthians says. Do not know, and this is again Paul writing, Do, don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God. It's a gift. You didn't earn the right to have the Holy Spirit in you. Guess what? You can't earn the right to keep the Holy Spirit in you. It's a gift. If you earn it, it's not a gift. It's a wage. You got paid for it. He's like, I've given you this gift. And he says, you are not your own. There's somebody in you causing a war in you every day now. I'm coming in because I want to kill things that don't match up to me because those things kill other people and I'm trying to get people to see that death is real but life is just as real in me. And so he says, for you were bought with a price, bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Bring glory to him. Delight in him. Tell him how great he is. Listen, it's really hard to sin while you're telling God how great he is and you're telling him how deserving of wrath you are. Really hard to sin. Try it sometime. If you can do it, you might want to question your salvation <laughs> if you're really saved. See, most of the time we just want to forget about God. We don't want to think about him. We don't want to take our delight in him. We just want him out of the way so I can do what I want. And even when we do that, God says, Ugh. I'll still die for you. <laughs> I'll still pay the price. I still love you. Look at what Romans 6 goes on to say. He said, what then? Should we sin? Paul brings it up again. Twice he repeats himself. So should we sin since God does the work and God does all this? Should we sin because we're not under the law but because we've got grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone, that's a relationship, as an obedient slave's, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Do you want to feel dead every day or do you want to feel alive every day? It's your choice. God says, if you want to feel alive, walk with me through the death and you'll, you'll see life. That's what Jesus said. But we are so trying to cling to so many desires and pleasures and wants and we're so in fear and panic we just can't say I trust you and I want to live righteously I want to, live, I want to know your word so I, the Holy Spirit's job by the way as a gift is to teach us the truth to show us the word that's the point of the Holy Spirit that's why he comes into us so that he gives us the ability to know what's true and do it he goes on and he says man don't make yourself a slave to sin again. See, there's always an offer. There's always a deal that sin makes. And when you start to say, I can keep sinning and get grace, what you're doing in your mind is you're starting to go back to works and making deals with God again. Versus saying, God, I'm struggling. I need your help to live in your grace. I need you to sanctify me. I need the... the the declaration of a new year. I need atonement. I need to know that you'll fellowship with me. You'll tabernacle with me. That you'll pass over my sin. I need to know that you will come into my life. I, that's where we're supposed to live. And the more you try to prevent death, the more you focus on death, and the more you'll feel death. Versus focusing on life. 
life in heaven, the, the life Jesus brings for us to lay down our life for him. Psalm 34, look at the psalmist. We're going to read a couple of psalms. I'm just going to read them. Look at the heart of these psalms. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Not this land. That's the promised land that's coming. That's what this psalm's talking about. Dwell in the promised land. The promised land's not like a place right now. It's a place that's coming. We know that from Revelation. He says, Take delight in the Lord, in Yahweh, and he will give you your heart's desires. Look at that. Everyone likes the second part of this. He's going to give me my desires. Okay, God, here's my list of desires. What's the first part say? Take delight in sanctification. Take delight in the process of becoming more like him. And when you do that, guess what happens to the desires of your heart? You start desiring different things. The desires of your heart start to desire what God wants, not what you want. They start to desire the word and the truth of the word, not my feeling and emotion and what I want. So when we take our delight in him doing his work in us, there's this incredible relationship that brings us together and all of a sudden we're doing things together and it's like this is awesome. We're working together. We're not against each other. We don't have strife. We have like unity. This feels great. Commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. In other words, you can declare, I'm justified, I'm right because of what he's done, and you can shine Jesus to the world, not because of how great you are, but because of how great he is. And then he says, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Well, wait a minute, how do I get him to give me the desires of my heart if I don't tell him what they are? I can't just sit silently before the Lord. I gotta tell him stuff. This is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want. How about you just sit silently before the Lord and be like, you're awesome. Really awesome. <laughs> right? It's like a relationship where it's just nice just to sit together, not do anything, not have an agenda, just sit there and like, hey, hey, good to see you. You too. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's taking your delight in being with that person. Not, hey, it's good to see you. Um, I, got, I got some stuff to do. You, we good yet? It's been about 10 minutes. I mean, I don't know how much longer I can sit here. It goes on and it says, do not be agitated by the one who prospers in his way, by the man who carries out evil plans. There's a Puritan, Thomas Watson, who said this, after the fall of man, the affections were misplaced on wrong objects. In sanctification, here's what God does. They are turned into a sweet order and harmony, and the grief is placed on sin, the love on God, and the joy in heaven. Let me say that again. Your grief, your death is placed on sin, your love is placed on the relationship, and your joy and hope is set on heaven. That's what happens in the process of sanctification. It's the process of grieving over our sin, knowing that we're loved by God, and just looking forward to what God has for us. He goes on and says this in Psalm 40, I delight to do your will, my God. Your instruction lives within me. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed. I'm not ashamed. As though you know the Lord. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. I'm not ashamed, man. I got to go in there and tell people. <laughs> it goes on, it says this in Psalm 65, iniquities overwhelm me. Only you can atone, day of atonement, for our rebellions. How happy is the one you choose and bring near to live in your courts. That's what Jesus said he has done for us. We will be satisfied with your goodness of your house, the holiness of your place you live, the temple. Your, you answer us in rightness, in righteousness, with awe-inspiring works. God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the distant seas. Paul goes on in verse 20 in Romans 6 and says this. 
For when you were slaves of sin, you were free from the allegiance to righteousness. In other words, when you decided, I'm just going to sin and do what I want, you didn't care what was right. You were free from righteousness because you didn't care. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? Paul uses that word again. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but what things are you ashamed of? And what's the fruit? See, here's the problem with the things that we're ashamed of. They have a way of constantly bearing fruit throughout our lifetime. They don't go away until we're dead. They follow us. We can't like do enough to get rid of them. Somebody reminds us, we see a picture, a situation, someone we've hurt, something happens and that reminder comes back up and all that shame is staring us in the face again. And we have to choose to say, I'm dead to that and I'm alive in Christ or we just sit in that shame and that mess and it causes a disaster and then we go, I don't care what's right anymore. Just do what I want. How'd that work out the first time? Don't do it again. Goes on, he says, for the end of those things is death. But now, since you've been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, you've been his bond slave, his bond servant, you've you've surrendered to his payment, you have your fruit which results in sanctification And the end is eternal life. It's worth becoming more like him because in the end, you're going to get a life that's amazing forever. It's worth it, he says. You have a fruit now that you're bearing. Galatians 5 says, I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's against the Spirit. The Spirit desires what's against the flesh. They're opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law anymore. In other words, it's not like I gotta measure up, I gotta measure up. No, I just need to surrender. I need you to make the payment. I need the Spirit to tell me what the next step is. I'm gonna play possum. You tell me what to do. It goes on and it says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. And then he gives a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance. In other words, we got to talk about this stuff. Because if we don't, you're going to think these things are okay to do. They're not. That's not the fruit that God wants you to bear. He says, I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, it just shows what's really there. You know, we were talking this morning. Brian and Jay were outside greeting you all as you were coming in. And you'll notice that the Banneker is raising a thistle farm out here. Okay? Like nice Canadian, giant Canadian thistles. And those things, every time I see a Canadian thistle, all I can think about is when I spend an entire summer cutting those thistles out of 1,800 acres. 1,800 acres of bean fields. All summer long, that's all I did. Blistering heat. Wearing long pants and long shirts because they hurt. And they go through leather gloves. And that was my job all summer was cutting those things out. And they were tall of bean fields. Whenever I see them, I'm like, I hate those things. But then it reminds me of the curse where he tells Adam, you're going to work by the sweat and toil of your brow and you're going to get thorns and thistles. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's my life. God's been teaching me that lesson since I was in high school. (laughs) Cutting beans out of fields. (laughs) Like, doesn't change. And it's the same thing. Paul tells us in advance. God doesn't tell. He warns us. He tells us what's true. He doesn't hide it. Paul isn't hiding it. He talks about God's wrath. He talks about righteousness. He talks, he's not like hiding. Well, I don't want to tell them the truth about who God really is. I just want them to see the good stuff about God. How about we just tell them the full reality of this awesome God we know? His holiness, his beauty, his love, his wrath, his justice, all the stuff. And he goes on. He says, And I told you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Practice meaning those are the things you keep doing because you're trying to get better at doing them. It's the opposite of sanctification. Practicing something means you're trying to get better at being a drunkard. You're trying to get better at being jealous. You're trying to get better at more outbursts of anger. That's what it means. You're practicing getting worse. God says, I want you to practice knowing me. And if you know me, I'll help you get better. That's sanctification. And that's why he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, you allowing the Spirit to work in you, is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. In other words, God's going to do as much of this stuff in you as you let him do all day long. There's no law. It's not like, that's enough love. I've had enough love for you today. I'm done. Okay, stop being so joyful. Just stop. You need to be miserable. No more joy for you today. Right? Peace. Stop being so content and being at peace. I need you to be really like, you know, a jerk to everyone because you're just mad. That's, that's what I need. There's no law against how much you can be like God. Not be a God, but be like him. And then he goes on, he says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, we must also follow the spirit. We must not become conceited. That's what Paul's addressing. He's like, I've just told you you're saved, you're righteous, you're justified by faith. It's not your works. Be careful not to be conceited. Because the tendency is going to be to be like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm awesome. No, 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 no. Day atonement's coming back around again. The calendar's still going to remind you of your need all the time. Then he says, we must not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Because what ends up happening is now we start provoking because we're not walking in the spirit, we're walking in the flesh. And now I'm mad, like the psalmist says, that I see people get stuff that I don't get and I tell God, they got that, I don't get it, why do I get that? That's not the spirit. That's you. He goes on, it says this, as we wrap up, Romans 6 ends with this comment and it's no small thing. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in the Messiah who is Yahweh who saves, who is the Yahweh great I am. That's how Paul ends chapter six. He looks and he says, the wages of sin is death. That's why we have death all around us. It's why we continue to die. It's why we fight death so badly because we want to get paid something different. You can't be paid anything different in this world other than death. But you can receive a great gift free of charge from a great father who loves you and wants you to see how miserable you are and how miserable you make people around you <laughs> so that he can change you and make you into someone that brings the fruit of the spirit into people's lives. Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's a life that you can't get unless you die. Because see, we live an earthly life can't get eternal life unless you die. And that's what Paul is laying out. He says, look, I want you to be sanctified. I want you to become more like the one you love. And he wants you to become more like him. And he wants to invite you to be a part of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, family, and to be a part of the family and become like the family. That's why the church is the family. Is become like us in terms of how we confess our sin and confess how great God is. That's what we're going to do. We're going we're to hold each other to that. And then it's easy to look around and go, but they get and they get and they, no, 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 no. Him. He wants to sanctify us because we've been justified. He's paid the price. See, question is, what are you living for? You're dying. Clinton knew that. He's like, I'm dying. No, it's going to happen sometime. But what life do you bring? See, that's the question for us. Sanctification is the result of delighting in the gift of a relationship that God has provided when we don't deserve it. It's delighting in his power to forgive sin and his power to help us not sin. And when you get that, and when you begin to walk with God that way, there is a peace and a love and a joy and a patience and a kindness and a goodness and a faithfulness and gentleness and a self-control that begins to take over your life that it's just radical. Is it a process? Yep, your whole life. 
and one day Christ is going to make you, your, your body, this war that you have, this sinful is going to be dead. The flesh will be gone, and all you're going to have is a relationship with him and the spirit. That's the beauty of the Christian message. And the Christian message says embrace that death, embrace that suffering, and I'll give you life. Versus the rest of the messages of most of the rest of the religions of the world are, here's all the ways to avoid suffering and death. Do them and maybe you won't have to suffer for eternity. And our God says, no, suffering and death, that's the curse. But there's life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your sanctification. Thank you that you offer your payment. Thank you that you love us enough that you want us to become more like you. and You want us to, to be your sons and daughters. You want a family that, that represents you to the world, that shows your greatness, your holiness, your love, your mercy, your grace. That's the point of people coming together in forgiveness and surrendering their lives to one another in relationships. Not in sin, not that I sin with people, but I would call out that sin and live for you where we would live together in righteousness. Lord, I thank you that this is a gift. We can't sanctify ourselves. We can't make ourselves more holy. We can't stand before you. We're going to be like Isaiah and say, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. And I thank you that you purify. So Father, I pray for those that might be struggling this morning that this process of sanctification is just beating them up. They look around and they say, what about them? And why do they get? And why do I? And why am I still suffering for sin I've done? And all these things, I pray they would just throw that all on you this morning and they would feel your tabernacle. If they don't know you, that they would say, you are my atonement. I ask you, Jesus, to pay the price, the penalty I deserve. I believe that if I do that, you invite me to be a part, you adopt me to be a part of your family and then you teach me what it's like to be in your family. And you're patient with me like a father is with a child. So Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this gift. May we respond how you ask in your name. Amen. 